Hello, romance book lovers. Welcome or welcome back to Tales from the Heart. I am Jenna Hart, and each week I post new episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now, we're listening to Deadly Valentine, book one of the Valentine Mysteries. This week's is episode six, where we go through chapters 14 and 15, and we find out if and why Jack was evasive during his call to Tess in the last episode. If you're eager to follow along or you want to get ahead, you can download the entire ebook for free at my website, jennahart.com. Never miss the mystery of romance by hitting the subscribe button. And remember, all the details and links that you might need are just a click away in the description. Now snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chapter 14. Tess arrived at Jack's office shortly before 4 p.m. Her confidence was strong until she crossed over the Potomac River into Washington, D.C. Then, like a flood, insecurity and anxiety drowned her faith. She had left the city three years earlier, disgraced and humiliated. She thought the remnants of self-doubt were gone now that she'd built a new life. But the gleaming towers of marble history served as a reminder of how and why she had to leave and brought back all the feelings as clear and sharp as if it had happened the day before. For a moment she thought about cancelling the meeting. She could come up with some excuse that prevented her from coming. But Jack might see through that and she didn't want to be the type of person that let the past dictate her present. She pulled into the parking garage under his building, letting the attendant know about her visit. She parked her car near the elevator. Grabbing her purse and her briefcase, she exited the car and took the long elevator ride up to the twentieth floor. She rolled her shoulders and took deep breaths to bring down her anxiety. Jack had complete faith in her. She had faith in herself. And when it was done, she'd let him buy her dinner and tell him what her and Regina's research uncovered about Delia Jackson. It wasn't much. In fact, it bordered on totally insignificant. The doors opened. Several people waited for her to exit so they could take the long ride down. She headed up a hall towards the area Jack had indicated. She realized she'd never been to Jack's office before. They had been friends, but always outside of their work environments. Hey, you. Jack sat on the edge of a desk as she approached, but stood to greet her. I've been waiting for you. His smile was stunning, and for a minute she thought he was going to kiss her. Instead, he put an arm around her shoulder and guided her through a set of double doors. Hold my calls, please, Mrs. Standish, and no intrusions, he said to the very competent-looking secretary who had to be old enough to be his grandmother. Yes, sir. The door shut and she found herself pulled flush against Jack's hard body. Now that we're alone. He kissed her, firmly and thoroughly. She shook the fog out of her head when he pulled away. You should warn me when you plan to do that. Why? I like the dazed look. I need my wits when I'm working. This is a real working meeting, isn't it? Not some ploy to get me in your office alone. Can it be both? He waggled his brows. Everyone is down in the conference room waiting, but I wanted to see you first. How are you? She wondered if he could see the unease that being in D.C. brought back to her. She hoped not. I'm good. Ready to go. Excellent. Maybe when we're done there, I can let you know what I've uncovered so far about your case. How about we do that at dinner? All right. He gave her another shorter yet equally potent kiss and then led her out of his office and down a different hall. He stopped outside a door marked Conference Room A. Are you sure you're ready? 
There was something about the look in his face that told her maybe she wasn't ready. She swallowed the new bout of anxiety and nodded. Jack opened the door and went in first. Tess followed him to the head of the table. Once there, she looked over the half-dozen men and women who sat waiting. And then the floor dropped out from under her. How was it that in less than a week she'd come face to face with two men she'd never planned to see again, especially the one who'd humiliated her and destroyed her career? Hello, Tess, the other man said. He smiled but was hesitant. Was it possible he was as uncomfortable as she was? Not likely. She couldn't imagine Brad Chancellor ever felt anything but arrogant. She whipped her head around to Jack, who avoided her gaze. This is Tess Madison, my attorney from Jefferson Tavern. She's here to let you know about the case regarding Asa Worthington's murder, and to answer any questions you have. You'll have until tomorrow to process what she says, and how it can impact the company. We'll meet then to go over any strategies you think we need to implement. Without looking at her, he turned and left the room. He was going to leave her alone. Coward, Tess muttered. The door opened again and Tess thought maybe he realized his error and was back to face her. Instead, Mrs. Standish came in. Mr. Valentine asked me to give you this. It's a skinny, fat-free mocha from the local coffee house. Thank you, Tess said, taking the drink. But a mocha from the local java joint wasn't going to get Jack off the hook so easily. In fact, she thought she'd hold on to the drink and pour it over his head when she saw him. Setting the drink down, she took a deep breath. She looked up at Brad, who three years ago cheated on her weeks before their wedding, and then, with his family's help, ruined her career prospects in the capital city. She thought about dumping the drink on him. Miss Madison? Another woman at the table started. We want you to know that we believe in Mr. Valentine 100%. But we also know that this kind of publicity can hurt a business. Tess tore her gaze away from Brad to look at the woman. I'm here to answer your questions, although I can't predict how Mr. Valentine's case will play out. At this point, the police have only circumstantial evidence. So there is evidence against him? Another man asked, looking alarmed. There's nothing specific to suggest that Mr. Valentine killed Mr. Worthington. Everyone at the house is a suspect at this point. Tess continued her presentation, her confidence growing as she went on. Occasionally, she managed a glance at Brad mostly because she was surprised he was keeping his mouth shut. He was the kind of man who liked to challenge people, particularly other lawyers. He also liked to gloat. But he didn't do either during her presentation. Tess couldn't decide if he changed or if he was biding his time before going in for the kill. Or maybe Jack told him to play nice. Why was he here, anyway? He looked different from the last time she'd seen him, less like floor polish. He didn't wear his hair slicked back or look like a Gordon Gecko wannabe. Not that he didn't look professional. He was still sporting a tailored Italian suit and she was sure his bronze curls were styled at a $1.250 A-cut hair salon. She reminded herself that he hadn't always been the critical, arrogant Brad that had ruined her life. At one time, they'd been best friends. They had laughed a lot and had a great relationship. That is until she realized that their marriage would be a sham and he turned on her for canceling it. His parents joined him in his quest to ruin her. His mother told her that infidelity was a part of married life. Tess wondered what his mother would have said if she'd told her it wasn't a woman she caught Brad with. 
As angry and hurt as Tess was, she never told his secret to anyone but Jack. Perhaps that's why Brad had gone on the offensive. Maybe it was his way to discredit her if she told. Was he worried that she still might expose him? In this day and age, what did it matter? When she finished her presentation and answered questions, she gathered her papers and mentally prepared to confront Jack. She headed towards Jack's office, hoping that Mrs. Standish was off copying something so she could barge in on him. No such luck. In fact, Mrs. Standish was now watching as Tess zeroed in on her target. Her eyes went from surprised to determined, but Tess wasn't going to let a gatekeeper stop her from getting to Jack. He's with someone. Tess pretended not to hear as she blew past the desk. Hey, you can't go in there. Mrs. Standish jumped up from her ergonomic chair to block Tess. He's expecting me. Tess hoped that momentum would give her the upper hand if Mrs. Standish got in the way. You still need to be announced. Tess burst through the door and into a solid wall of man. Oof. Jack stumbled back as he threw a small round object over her head. Oh, hey, Tess. Tess took in the scene. Jack's so-called meeting was with a gawky kid to play office basketball. For some reason, that infuriated her even more. Oh, yeah, you missed... The gawky kid threw his arms in the air in victory. Tess guessed he was just barely out of adolescence. He was tall, but his muscles hadn't yet caught up with his height, making him look a bit like a rubber band man. No fair. Jack cast a glance to Tess. Interference. Too bad. The kid took a little orange ball and threw it into a hoop across the office. I'm sorry, Mr. Valentine. I tried to keep her out. Mrs. Standish pressed her hand to her chest as if she were out of breath. It's okay. I was expecting Miss Madison. It was all Tess could do to keep from giving her an I told you so smirk. But she had to remember her goal. Jack betrayed her, and she wanted to know why. We need to talk. Sure. Let me just finish. Now. One dark brow lifted. Yes, ma'am. He looped an arm that she couldn't dislodge around her shoulder. Hey, Derek, I need to call it quits. It's your money, Derek said with a final dunk of the ball. He turned and grinned. That's at least 50 bucks. Jack laughed. Put it on my tab. The way this is going, I'll have my tuition paid in a few months. Smart, Alec. Jack said. Tess, this is Derek Martin. He's working in a special intern program here. Derek, this is Tess Madison, my lawyer. Nice to meet you, Tess said as Derek extended his hand. She really wasn't in the mood for pleasantries but there was no sense in being rude to the young man. Let me see Derek out and then we can talk. Jack left Tess to brood as he escorted Derek to the door. Are you heading down to Jefferson U tonight? She overheard Jack ask. Yes. And you'll take care of that project? I'll take care of it, I promise. Derek gave Jack a salute and left. Now, where were we? Jack moved toward her, but the murderous look on her face must have put him off as he stopped short and stared at her. His blue-green eyes studied her face as if he were looking for clues as to what was wrong. Why didn't you tell me he'd be here? She said. Who? The assessing stare disappeared, and Tess could see he knew exactly who she was talking about. You know who. Brad. Brad works for me. He moved towards the corner of the office where a small kitchenette housed a refrigerator from which he took a glass bottle. Want something to drink? He works for Tate, George, and Chancellor. Not anymore. He twisted the cap off the bottle. He works for me. Runs things when I'm not around, which is much of the time. It was Tess's turn to look surprised. He's a liar and cheat and you have him running things? 
He's a damn good businessman. Are you sure about that? She remembered how she thought he was a pretty good guy when she nearly married him. Yes. She waited for him to elaborate, but he didn't. That sounds naive. He shrugged and leaned against his desk. At the time, I didn't really care what he did, to be honest. My focus was on helping my mother. Tess felt the pull at her heartstrings at the devastation he must have felt at not being able to save his mother. But she couldn't let him manipulate her. Turns out that he didn't run things into the ground and instead made me a lot more money, so yes, I do trust him. With business. So business is more important than personal? Isn't that your motto? He tossed back at her. Touché. And sometimes people deserve a second chance. I know that I wouldn't be where I am today if some people didn't give me an opportunity to prove myself. Why didn't you tell me he'd be here? She repeated, determined to have him understand how his deception had not only caught her off guard, but hurt her as well. It was three years ago all over again. He didn't respond at first. Instead, he stared at her as he took a long swallow of his soda. He didn't look like he had a care in the world, which only infuriated her more. She wouldn't let him dismiss her feelings so casually. Damn it, Jack, you should have told me! Why? So I'd be prepared to see him. That's water under the bridge. You said so yourself. Why didn't you tell me? He must have realized she wasn't going to let it go. Because you wouldn't have come. You don't know that. I do know that. The one thing that has changed about you, Tess, is that you're not the go-getter you used to be. You prefer to stay in this nice, safe, tucked-away box you've built for yourself. That's not true. But even as she said it, she knew it was true. Now who's lying? You wouldn't have come because now you live your life to avoid exactly this kind of situation. I bet you hated coming over the bridge. I bet it brought up all sorts of bad memories. I half expected you to cancel on me because of it. She wasn't sure what she hated more, that he was right or that he knew so much about the inner workings of her psyche. You even avoid Daniel, who is about as safe and vanilla as you can get. This way, you got to face your demon head on. I'm here, aren't I? I did my job. I'm not timid right now. Her heart did a little shuffle like a boxer might do. If he wanted a confrontation, she'd give him one. And let me tell you something else, Jack. I don't need you to set up little scenes to help me see I've succeeded, despite what he did to me. Don't I? No. Tess wanted to throttle him. She set her briefcase down in case she had the urge to throw it at him. I don't know if it's the testosterone or a flaw in men in general, but I resent the idea that you think I need saving or that you have the right to manipulate me in my life. I don't want to run your life, and it's not like I didn't need you to come here. This was a legitimate meeting. I only failed to tell you Brad would be there. That's a big deal. Tess, I'm sorry you're upset, but don't you think you're blowing this up a little more than it needs to be? Did he say something to you? Don't. She jabbed her finger toward him. Don't ever belittle or dismiss my feelings. Jack held his hands up in surrender. I'm not dismissing your feelings. I just don't understand why you're as upset as you are. The last time I saw Brad, his parents were promising that I wouldn't work in this town. A promise they kept. She shook her head at the humiliation. Like how dare I call off the wedding simply because he was having an affair. I know that. You told me all about it that night, but... Oh, he would bring that night up. How she'd run to him because he was the only real friend she'd had. You know what he did, but you still hired him. I guess we know who you're most loyal to. His eyes narrowed. Are you angrier that I didn't tell you he'd be here today? 
or that I hired him to run my company after what he did to you? Both, she blurted. But it wasn't anger. Devastation was more like it. Even though you ran away from your life here? Promised you'd never be back? Told me not to call you? You left and never took one look back? That wasn't quite right. She'd thought about Jack a lot initially, especially since he hadn't listened to her and tried to call. But eventually the calls stopped and she moved on. She'd never intended to see any of them again. So she had no right to react the way she had. Even so, it still bothered her. Jack leaned forward, his eyes piercing hers. At least Brad sticks. She took the knock because she supposed he was right. While we're on the subject of Brad, he continued, Let me tell you this. I'm glad he cheated on you. I'm glad it turned out he was gay. It was bad enough to be in love with my friend's fiancé. Imagine if you'd married him. In love? Tess laughed at the ridiculousness of it. Is that why you kicked me out? She stopped herself. She didn't want to go there. Not now, not ever. I didn't kick you out, and yes, that's why I turned- Stop! She said, holding up a hand. This is not the time or place to discuss that. Then when, Tess? Because it needs to be discussed. All of a sudden, she felt tired, emotionally drained. All she wanted to do was to curl up on her sofa with a good mystery and glass of wine. As I said, all that is water under the bridge. We don't need to hash it out again. For a moment, she thought he was going to lunge at her and give her a good shake. But he took a breath and rolled his shoulders. Maybe we should just move on to the other business you wanted to discuss. Why don't we reschedule? It's not urgent, and I'm not in the mood right now. Not in the mood for business? Contempt laced his voice. That's a surprise. It seems that business is all you're ever in the mood for. He stood, moved around his desk to grab his coat from the back of the chair. Slipping it on, he stepped towards her. If you change your mind, you know where to find me. With one last biting glare, he stalked out. Chapter 15 Tess felt justified being angry at Jack, but she wondered if maybe she'd taken things too far. Rescheduling the meeting because she was mad at him for personal reasons was immature and unprofessional. She needed to find him to deal with business. Only business. The afternoon highlighted exactly why she and Jack needed to avoid any personal entanglements. She made her way to Mrs. Standish's desk. The woman glowered at her and then returned to her typing. Tess figured she wouldn't be invited to the company Christmas party. Even if Jack wanted to invite her, Mrs. Standish would probably lose the invitation in the trash. Is Mr. Valentine still in the building? I'm not at liberty to disclose the whereabouts of Mr. Valentine. Did people really talk like that? Has he left for the day? Mrs. Standish kept typing. He's expecting me to meet him. If he was expecting you, he'd have told you where he was. Hey, Tess. She turned to see Brad approaching her. Automatically, she braced herself for whatever criticism or self-important comment he was planning to make. Got a minute? I was just leaving, she said, heading to the elevator. I'll ride down with you. Unable to come up with a reason to stop him that didn't seem adolescent, Tess agreed. Good presentation today, he said when the doors closed. Tess waited for the butt. I guess Jack told you that anything you need, people, resources, whatever, let us know. Tess cast him a suspicious look. Is there a problem? He asked. Last time I saw you, you and your family were running me out of town. His expression turned pained and Tess wondered if this was the Brad she'd known before. Even when he wasn't being a jerk during the good times of their relationship, 
He wasn't one to share feelings or apologize for his actions. It was mostly my parents. Tess raised a brow. Okay. He held his hands up in surrender. I was a jerk. That's one way to put it. Listen, I could hear you with Jack and you can't hassle him about not telling you I was here. Eavesdropping? It's my office. Well, it's his office when he's here. But since he's rarely here, it's my office. Anyway, Jack gave me a break by hiring me. You weren't the only person my parents had blacklisted from every firm in the city. Tess found that hard to believe. While his parents didn't think much more of him than her parents thought of her, they at least pretended by ensuring he had the best opportunities for everything to maintain the family image. I don't know why you're surprised. They didn't like me when I was a top lawyer about to marry another brilliant lawyer. Being gay turned their indifference to disdain. If it weren't for Jack, who knows where I'd be. He was so pissed at me about what happened to you. Personally, I think he was in love with you. I think he still may be, but he gave me a chance anyway. Tess pushed away the warm, fuzzy feelings that were sprouting towards Jack and his actions to help Brad. And I need to thank you too, Brad continued. If our parents had their way, we'd be married, and you'd be putting up a front while I played both sides of the field. But you wouldn't have it. You suffered a great deal from my family, and probably from your family too, by walking away. But you ended up freeing us both. Tess didn't buy it. For one thing, free isn't what she felt when she walked away. She felt humiliated and beat down. The last three years were spent trying to put herself back together. I saw what you did, and I decided to live by my own convictions as well. No pretending anymore. And Jack gave me the chance I needed when my parents disowned me. But I don't know if I'd be able to do it if I hadn't watched you do it first, or if you'd taken the job. What job? This job. My job. You were Jack's first choice. You could have stayed up here. Rubbed it in my parents' faces. Mine too. He didn't call me about a job. He did, but apparently you didn't return his calls. Tess had difficulty processing what Brad was saying. Jack wanted to hire her to run things when his mother became ill. Brad's body shook as if he had a chill. Way too much touchy-feely, but it had to be said. Ah, uh, there was the Brad she knew. She had to concede. It was a lot of touchy-feely for him. He never said he was sorry, at least not in those words. But she knew that's what he meant. And he was expressing gratitude, which Tess would have never believed if she hadn't heard it from him directly. I'm impressed. He grinned, apparently pleased that she would appreciate his effort. If you tell anyone I did this, I'll deny it. Your secret is safe, she said. The elevator reached the garage level. Brad walked with her to her car. What is the deal with Jack and you, anyway? He asked as she unlocked the car. I'm his lawyer. It was the truth, and if her willpower held out, it would be the only relationship they would have, at least while he was a murder suspect. It seems like more... Brad said. I have to go. I guess you're right. You and Jack. His tone was doubtful, making Tess wonder what he thought was wrong with her. What about Jack and me? Well, I can see Jack falling for you, but I'm not sure he's your type. He believes in all the true love and romance stuff. But you and I know that's all a gimmick to sell flowers and jewelry. Tess felt a stab of pain in her heart. What he said was true. She'd long ago given up on the idea of love. She'd spent the last three years making sure she wouldn't succumb to the temptation of love. But to hear Brad say it was painful. 
like she'd given up a portion of herself by denying the human need to be loved. Our parents sure did a job on us, didn't they? Yes, they did. As Tess drove towards Key Bridge that would take her over the river to Rosslyn, Virginia, where Jack lived, she pushed Brad's comments from her mind. She couldn't afford to entertain thoughts of love and ever after. She'd designed her life just the way she wanted it. She didn't need the angst and risk that came with allowing oneself to be vulnerable to another. Jack's smug expression when he opened that door and found her standing there told her that he wasn't surprised she showed up. But just because she showed up didn't mean that all was forgiven. I'm here on business. I wanted to let you know what I found out regarding the information on Ace's computer. Of course. His expression was amused even when he was going for serious. He held the door open for her. I hope you don't mind if I eat dinner while you're here. I'd offer to share, but you might construe it as something personal. She hadn't known he could be snarky. Would you rather I came back another time? It's up to you. She realized he was putting her through another one of those tests in which she had to make the next move. I don't mind watching you eat. As she followed him to the kitchen, she took a moment to check out the view of Georgetown from the living area window. Tess left home and gave up her trust without a second thought. But when she saw views like Jack's, she sometimes wished she was a more successful lawyer. In the kitchen, Jack pulled items from his top-of-the-line refrigerator and set them on the marble countertops. I forgot that you like to cook. She sat on the bar stool on the other side of the counter from where he worked. I haven't mastered chocolate yet. He opened the wine cooler, pulling out a bottle. How about a glass of wine? Are you trying to get me drunk? She meant it as the cliché joke it was, but realized the minute the words were out of her mouth, that it sounded like she was challenging the business versus personal boundary she'd established between them. No worries, Tess. When I get you into bed, you'll have all your wits about you. She hoped she succeeded at keeping her face impassive despite the rush of heat in her cheeks. Half a glass. I have to drive back to Jefferson Tavern tonight. After he poured the glass and handed it to her, he put a skillet on the stove. Do you like fish? You're going to feed me after all? As long as you don't see it as making a pass at you. This is a business meeting after all. His face showed amusement, but the undertone of irritation couldn't be missed. Fish is fine. She pulled files from her briefcase. Jack's eyes narrowed in disapproval. Do you ever really relax? Sure, but this is a business meeting. I mean really relax. You know, hang out in an old pair of jeans. Tess took inventory of her dark skirt and jacket and felt self-conscious. I was working today. To help you stay in charge of your company, I might add. I know. He took a sip of his wine. And I just spent two days in my pajamas. But you were sick then. I mean other times. Almost every time I see you, you look like a lawyer. Most times I see you, you need a lawyer. Jack laughed. True. Do you own a pair of jeans? Yes, I own a pair of jeans. She snapped. Do you ever wear them? His eyes had that amused look again. No, I don't. Tess felt the heat of annoyance. Now can we get to work? Why not? Why not what? Why don't you wear jeans? Let your hair down. I don't look good in jeans. I don't believe it. Tess could feel his eyes on her as they took a thorough inventory of her body. Worse yet, the sizzle in her blood told her that her body liked it. I don't have the build that is accentuated by jeans. Are you one of those women who always worry about their weight and what they eat? Jeez. That was as bad as asking age or political affiliation.
I try to pay attention to what I eat. Like the ice cream the other night. Okay, so now he knew she worried about her weight, but had no willpower. What's all this about? Because you're wrong about your body. Women have the impression that men like skinny women, but the truth is we like curves. Well, I've got plenty of those. Tess took the last gulp of her wine. Yes, you do. When she looked up, his eyes had that predatory look that often preceded his move to kiss her. She prepared to move away and give him her this-is-business speech. His lips twitched slightly before he broke eye contact and went back to preparing dinner. Tessa's first feeling was irritation that he didn't follow through, then anger at herself for being irritated that he didn't try to seduce her. He was like the perfect bar of chocolate, smooth and tasty, but bad for her and yet too good to resist. To distract herself, Tess left her barstool to look over Jack's apartment. It hadn't changed much in the three years since she'd last visited. It was still warm and inviting in a manly kind of way. The leather couch and chair looked soft as butter and books and magazines mostly about environmental issues and business were strewn about. It wasn't messy. It was lived in. A home. Tess wandered to the bookcase that held more pictures and knickknacks than books. His entire life was laid out in the pictures on display. From a chubby, drooling baby to Little League champ. From Young Entrepreneur of the Year to more recently, an award from an environmental group for his efforts to rebuild crumbling neighborhoods with environmentally safe building materials. There was a picture of him with her and Brad. She remembered Jack's then-girlfriend, Barbie or Candy, took the picture during a boating trip on the Potomac. It was one of the few truly happy memories she held from her old life. Another picture showed Jack with a woman who reminded Tess of the granny on the Tweety Bird cartoons. She had gray hair pulled back into a tiny bun, dark round glasses, and a small wrinkled face. This must be Cora. Tess had never met Cora, but from the stories Jack told about her, Tess wasn't sure she was ready to meet Cora. The next picture looked about 30 years old. It was a young woman with a beautiful smile, highlighted with dimples. See something you like? Jack asked from behind her. Just checking out the doodads, he laughed. I told you they make a house a home. Who's this woman? Tess pointed to the pretty woman she'd just been viewing. She's Cora's daughter. I don't really know anything about her except that she died a long time ago. Ever since I had to move Cora next door, her stuff is slowly showing up in here. I guess it's good she has you, Tess said. It's good I have her too. Tess's heart went out to him. He'd lost his father as a boy and then his mother. Cora was all he had. And even though she wasn't a blood relative, it was enough for Jack. Hadn't she done that too? Created a family from people who were not related to her? So what did you bring me? Tess grabbed her file off the counter. I don't think I have much more than what we started with. I pulled the obit of Delia Jackson, and I was able to get a picture of her. Because she worked for the senator, she had a photo ID. As Tess handed the materials to Jack, she had a sense of deja vu, as if she'd seen the woman before. She gave herself a shake. She wasn't even born when Delia Jackson died. It was impossible to have seen her. I still don't know her. Jack looked over the picture. Well, you were barely born when she died. Tess handed him another paper. I dug a little about the fire that killed her as well. The official cause is a kerosene heater. Jack nodded. Unfortunately, that happens a lot in rural areas during the winter. 
Here's the interesting bit. Delia's body was found, but not the baby's. Officially, they think it was burned so bad that they hadn't been able to find it. But they do know it wasn't in the crib. How can they tell that? Tess shrugged. I guess there was no sign of whatever they look for. Since no one came forward saying they had the baby, they figured he was there, but was missed somehow. There's something really sad about that. His brilliant blue-green eyes showed concern for a lost, nearly forgotten baby that died practically before he was born. It was one of those things that made Jack so endearing. He handed the picture back to her. You're staring at me. I am not. She was embarrassed that she'd been caught. She took the picture from him. As she glanced at it again, she had another niggling feeling that she'd seen Delia before. There's something about this picture. That's not what you were looking at. He moved to her, and his eyes told her his intentions had nothing to do with business. She took a step back. No, but it's what I'm thinking about now. He continued his pursuit until she found herself backed into the bookcase. I think we should take a break from business. He took another step, close enough to pin her in. She held her hands up, one of which still held Delia's picture. Jack laughed. Going to fight me off with the threat of a paper cut? I just want a kiss, Tess. That's all. One little kiss. The problem was that nothing was little with Jack. Isn't your dinner going to burn? It's not cooking yet. We've got work to do. Come on, Tess. He leaned towards her, his lips hovering, teasing her. Tess closed her eyes, willed herself to be strong. The problem was, when he was this close, it was impossible to be strong. Just do it. She willed Jack to follow through. I'll be damned. Jack pulled away, taking the picture from Tess's hand. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tales from the Heart. I hope that you enjoyed it and that you will be back to find out what happens next. What has Jack seen that has him interrupting a kiss with Tess? To make sure that you don't miss any episodes, hit the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are posted. And don't forget that you can get the ebook of Deadly Valentine free through my website, jennahart.com. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after.